This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the GoPro Great White Waterproof Camera. The Great White will last you all day, and its waterproof case is strong enough to survive a shark attack. The new GoPro Great White Waterproof Camera. It doesn't seem possible, but it must be. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's Shark Week on Pod Cemetery with 1975's Jaws and 2016's The Shallows. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Give me what you got. The two detectives in 1995's Seven are played by Brad Pitt and what actor? Morgan Freeman. That is correct. Interesting. I also have a Seven-related question here. Okay. At the end of Seven, 1995, the head of what actress was in the box? What's in the fucking box? Gwyneth Paltrow, which is funny because we never even see it. Right, we see, like, the bloody mess at the top, but, yeah, we don't actually see her head. But it's presumed that it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head. What's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? Oh, God. (laughs) All right, Kelsey, our first movie is 1975's Jaws, written by Peter Benchley and Carl Gottlieb, based on the novel by Peter Benchley, Directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Roy Scheider, Robert Shaw, and Richard Dreyfuss. What is Jaws about? A small island where a lot of people go, like, for summer vacation and stuff is being targeted by a shark. It has decided that the waters where everyone likes to swim and have fun are its feeding waters. And specifically, it's a great white shark, which is why it's such a big deal. Yes. Okay, don't get this wrong. Okay. Should people watch Jaws? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Yes. It's a foregone conclusion, people. Yes. What's wrong with you? It's the first summer blockbuster. It's where the term comes from, is from Jaws. Some almost 70 million people saw this when it first came out. It's huge. It's awesome. It's incredibly directed. The soundtrack is, you know... It's the soundtrack (laughs) by the impeccable John Williams, who, if you just want an amazing score, you pick John Williams. And interestingly, in this score, so they say, Steven Spielberg thought it was a joke when he played the theme for the first time. And he thought maybe it was just like placeholder music or something like that. But nope, this is what he was proposing. And it ended up being fucking legendary. So, yes, you should see Jaws. Are you kidding me? If you haven't already, stop this episode right now and go watch it. God. It's very good. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. 
It's just so good. It's not perfect. No. Even with the John Williams score, there's some times where they make it like an adventure track, like it's Indiana Jones or something like that, when there's a killer shark that's going to destroy them. And it's just like, dun, 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 dun. it's so weird. <laughs> Interestingly, John Williams actually won an Oscar for this score. Steven Spielberg credits him with, uh, quote, jumpstarting his career. But he won that Oscar. He also composed the Academy Awards that year. Hmm. So when he won and he had to get out of the pit and go up on stage to accept his award and then go right back to conducting. Awesome. Uh, I just thought that was a pretty funny little story there. It's not perfect, but it is incredible. So I'd highly recommend you go out and watch it. You can take our advice, and that's the only option you have. And when we get back, we will talk about 1975's Jaws. There is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion. And without logic, it lives to kill a mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. <laughs> Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfus. You're going to need a bigger boat. From the best-selling novel, Jaws, rated PG, maybe too intense for younger children. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Jaws begin? We open on a group of teenagers just having a nice time out on the beach, and a girl and a guy are flirting, and they run off, but the guy is too drunk. Yeah. And so he never makes it into the water. She strips naked and runs into the water. I feel like, before we move past this, I feel like when I first saw this movie, I didn't understand why the guy just... Passed out? Yeah, like why he passed out like that. I mean, he was still awake. Like, I, it just, it didn't register with me. And then as I grew older and I've had more experiences, I totally get how you might have one intention, and you just cannot make yourself do it. <laughs> I totally get that. <laughs> so anyway, he is man down on the beach, and she's stripped naked and gone skinny dipping out in the ocean. This is a beach on Amity Island, which is right off the coast of Massachusetts. So not Amityville. Not Amityville. But Amity means friendship. Yes, it does. <laughs> Dijour means friendship. <laughs> Dijour means... Fuck, what is it? Oh, what does he say? Dijour means brothers. I don't remember. God, that movie is so good. If you haven't seen Josie and the Pussycats, <laughs> see that one too. It's so good. Dijour means friendship. Thank you, Les. Dijour means family. Dijour means teamwork. Anyway, she's out in the water. Come out to the water. And we get the famous music playing. And we get an underwater shot of her from the bottom. It's the a very POV famous shots, shot. Yeah, huh? Yes, there's lots of POV shots. I'm sure you all know the story. We'll go through it quickly. Yes. The shark didn't work very well. There were several sharks. 
and none of them worked well. They were all incredibly heavy, and they would sink to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, the The shark's name, colloquially, was Bruce, which is also the name of the shark in Finding, Finding Nemo, Nemo uh, named after this shark, which was named after Steven Spielberg's lawyer, Bruce. Get it? Lawyers, sharks, uh, and it fell to the bottom of the ocean. What do you call a thousand lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? A good start. Ah. <laughs> anyway, so yes, they had a few different sharks. There was one that was just the right side. There was one that was just the left side. There was one that was everything up to the tail just to get the different shots that they needed. And it was really hard to control. And in a lot of shots, even shots that make it in the movie, it doesn't look so great. There no. are shots where it looks good. There are plenty of shots where they use smaller actors with real sharks to make the sharks look bigger than they are. The biggest that great white sharks tend to get are females. Females are like five to 10 feet longer than male great whites is like 20 feet, like 15 to 20 feet. This one is supposed to be 25. They say at one point. So it's really, really big side note. Do you know why female sharks look more intimidating than male sharks aside from their size? I would assume to intimidate predators for them from their babies. That might be a benefit, but they get fucked up during mating season. They get all tore up, so they have like scars and shit like that that make them look really tough and and villainous and stuff. Meanwhile, the male sharks are smaller and sleeker. And- <laughs> Anyway, back to uh, the stuff that everyone knows about this movie so we can get it out of the way. This one you may or may not know, but uh, Verna Fields probably deserves a lot of credit for this movie. She's the editor. She is the one who ultimately convinced Steven Spielberg to cut out as much of the shark as possible. Yeah, he did not want to. No. (laughs) Because of how... How difficult it had been to get the thing working. So it was like, hey, we got it on film. Let's use it. And she was like, no. Yeah. Okay. There's a phrase that I would highly recommend any creative types use. It's called kill your darlings. And it basically means don't be precious about the shit that you came up with. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Get rid of it. And this is one of those things where Verna Fields was able to not only convince Spielberg to let her do that, but also edit around it in such a way that it looks great and it increases the tension, coupled with obviously the music and the sound design and that sort of thing. So congratulations to Verna Fields. You deserve much more credit than you ultimately got. So I will also say she's she edited American Graffiti, which was a George Lucas film, which Richard Dreyfus was also in. George Lucas and Spielberg obviously being very, very close friends. So, Verna Fields, congratulations, you made an impeccable movie. Now that the lady's in the water and we get these POV shots from under her, what happens? She gets pulled down by what we know to be the shark, but of course we can't see it, and then she gets flailed around. Now, do you know how sharks actually grab? The thing about sharks is... Most people survive shark attacks. They don't get eaten by sharks. Sharks don't eat people. As a matter of fact, Peter Benchley says, if I knew then what I know now about sharks, I never would have written the book. (laughs) Because he is responsible for like this worldwide terror of sharks. Yes, sharks are intimidating. Sharks are scary. But nobody really thought of them as as man-eaters 
until this movie came out and the and the book before it. Which is not to say that they haven't killed people. No, 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 they, they have. killed people, <laughs> but not very many, mm-hmm. like dozens a year. Meanwhile, refrigerators kill more people. They're really not that deadly. But the reason people die when they get attacked by a shark is blood loss and stuff like that. They drown. They become uh, hypothermic in the in the water, and like bad things happen to them. But as a consequence of the shark bite, sharks they bite into us and they go, "No, thank you," <laughs> and they tend to spit us back out. They're not interested in the way humans taste. Really? Um, yeah. Studies have shown they don't like the way we taste. Yep. They bite into us thinking that we're seals or other such aquatic prey. And when they find out we're not, they're like, <laughs> which is why people tend to have one shark bite, maybe two, and that's it. But because sharks are very strong and they have sharp teeth and multiple rows, they, you can get real fucked up from even one shark bite. So it's not that they're hunting us. It's not that they want to eat us. It's that they're confused and they think we're another animal, especially when we're on paddle boards and right. wearing wetsuits I, I don't think anybody thinks like that, that white, great whites are out there hunting us. But what I mean is, so if this were real, yeah. the shark would have let go. Yes. Interesting. But that still doesn't answer quite my question. They thrash. They grab, they clamp, they thrash. They tear their prey apart. So it's kind of true what we see, but also not. Yes. There's also, we see it especially later in the shallows where a shark will come out of the water. Which we've seen. We've seen. On like planet Earth planet and Earth. shit. Yeah, uh-huh. that slow-mo shot is incredible. Yes, it is. Where you just see this shark come right out of the water after this seal and it f- spins the seal in midair trying to clamp at it. It is terrifying (laughs) and they actually do behave that way it's really interesting but so she's being like like she obviously is attached to some sort of motor or something and that's why she uh keeps going back and forth at one point uh, she yells it hurts which is always my favorite (laughs) always i look forward to it every time Uh (laughs) but hurts. but next day Boy wakes up and he's like, where'd she go? Yeah. So he goes to the cops and tells them what happened. And it's not too long before one of them finds her. Yes. And she's washed up on the shore and the cop cannot handle what he is seeing. Yes. This is when we meet Martin Brody, played by Roy Scheider. And he is the landlubber of a New York cop who moves his family out to the island for, like, a quiet life, where he can be the sheriff of this quiet island town. He is afraid of the water, though. He does not like the water. And when somebody says, at one point in the movie, if you're so afraid of the water, why'd you move to an island? He says it's only an island from the water. Yeah, that makes sense. That's the That's the response. But it does make sense. But that's the response that Dreyfus gives him. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) I mean, in the same way that when you're on the beach here in Southern California, like, yeah, you got land, you got the beach, you got the water. You can't see it as an island unless you're far away from it on the water, which he's not going to do. So as long as he just stays on land, he doesn't need to worry about it. (laughs) Anyway, he gets a coroner's report for this dead woman. What does it say? First, it says it was probably a shark attack. Yeah. 
But once the mayor finds out, that gets changed to possible boating accidents. Yes, this is Mayor Vaughn, played by Murray Hamilton. And he is insistent that it could have been like a boat propeller or something like that. And the coroner who's there with them feels pressured and is like, I suppose it could be. Well, there you go. It's inconclusive. We can't say it's a shark attack, so we shouldn't say it's a shark attack. Now, a lot of people like to vilify this character. Yeah. Does he make stupid decisions? Absolutely. But you have to understand that he's making them based on the fact that if we yell shark, we're going to lose business. Yeah. And our teeny tiny island lives off of summer business. Also, you know that the sheriff is terrified of the water. And you also know that sharks don't really hunt around here. If it happened, it was a one-off and it's never going to happen again. We should not close the beach. Initially, I can see where the mayor's coming from. But when Brody turns to the corner and is like, oh, a boat propeller, you'll stand by that? The corner says, yes, he will stand by the fact that it was a boat propeller. And that's why like, he doubles down on that, which is why when later... Richard Dreyfus says, no boat propeller did this. He kind of, like, looks down and he's very humbled. Like, mm-hmm. he knows he fucked up. Mm-hmm. The mayor's jacket has a, an anchor pattern, which is really adorably charming. Yes, he wears that a lot. <laughs> so then they go down to the beach because that's where everybody goes. It's the summertime. Yeah. The husband is very nervous because his kids are out there. And so he's paying very close attention to what's happening in the water. Meanwhile, he's got a bunch of silly, pointless conversations going around him. Like one dude comes up to him and wants him to check out something about his house. And the guy's not even listening to him. He's just like, that's some bad hat, Harry. And Harry gets all mad. <laughs> yeah, so Harry's this old man and he has this like stretchy thing on him, on his, on his like head. Like a swimmer's cap. Yeah, uh-huh. And he says that's some bad hat, Harry. Which is why that line is famous and it will never be famous for anything else. Moving on. <laughs> we know all about you, Chief. You don't go in the water at all, do you? It's some bad hat, Harry. So there are all these people, like I said, and he's watching, and one kid realizes that his dog has gone missing. Yeah. That we saw earlier going in and out of the water to get a stick. All we get from that is just the stick later on. We don't actually get confirmation necessarily that the dog died, but that's all the symbolism we need to indicate that. And there is a kid that we saw earlier with his mom, which, by the way... Yeah, the whole age discrepancy between the parents and the kids in this movie. Every family. Yeah. All the parents are like in their 70s and the kids are 10. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad that you like yes. said that before I even got there. Like, yes. I, like, I've always wondered about that. How is that woman that child's mother? Like, Now, it's not the case for the actors or what have you, but the extras. So the movie was filmed on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, the extras are residents of Martha's Vineyard, and they were just paid a couple bucks to run from the ocean back up to the beach and scream. <laughs> so he goes out into the water, and he's on one of those floaty things, which movies like this in the shallows like to make you think that they really like to go for people that are on 
some sort of board. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, you think the shape of the board, it's like rotund. It's lit from the top, so it's very dark. And, you know, they can't really see those bright colors or anything like that. And then it has these weird limbs splashing about you can see how they would might mistake it for a seal if it's a human with long skinny limbs and a narrow torso it wouldn't be interested in us which is why generally speaking it'll be people on surfboards and boogie boards and and other sorts of things like that well also that means that they're usually further out yeah uh-huh but anyway kid gets attacked by the shark now let's admit that there are some problems here why is there that much blood and it's all, like, bubbling up, right? Because it looks cool. Exactly. Because it looks cool. And I'm not here to begrudge Jaws for these tiny little things, but let's be real, that's not what it would really look like. Yeah. Anyway. But, I mean, blood does diffuse in the water, and blood in the water is also key for suggesting shark. Right, but it's very obviously like a motor doing yeah. it. <laughs> This is also when we get the awesome Dolly Zoom, which is iconic. When I talked about the Dolly Zoom in, uh, I can't remember what other movie it was that we were talking about it in. On Twitter, I posted this shot here, which is probably not, if not the one of the most famous uses of this technique. And it's often attributed to Spielberg, even though it was first used by Hitchcock and his cinematographer. In which movie? Vertigo in the tower looking down. That's how that's how it looks like it's stretching out. So what's happening is, is you have the dolly zooming in like it's physically moving closer, but the camera is widening its angle. So it that's the effect that we think of in uh, zoom out. Really what's happening is the angle is widening and it's just capturing more stuff fitting into that same viewpoint. So it kind of looks like the background elements from the left and the right get squished in, but the, the thing that's in the center gets bigger. And the effect it, of everything closing in on you. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. It isolates that person and it really accentuates terror elements. And it can also make long hallways or towers like in Vertigo seem like they're just supernaturally long and terrifying. Did they do that in Nightmare when the when her hallway got longer? Um, Poltergeist, you're thinking? No, Nightmare. Oh, yes, I am. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it is. That, that is that, that effect. Yes. So probably most famous here. But yes, Alfred Hitchcock, Vertigo. It wasn't even his cinematographer. No, it was, uh, it was a cameraman, second unit cameraman, Ermin Roberts. So everybody comes running out of the water, except for the woman's little boy. Yeah, and so when everyone's, like, rushing back up, getting out of the water, she's still kind of going out and calling out for her son. He never shows up. No. Big hoopla in this small island town. Everyone is getting together to have a town meeting. Everyone's a business owner and they're all concerned about what's this going to do for our revenue. The island's going to open up to tourists pretty soon. And this is what gets us year by year. We make enough money to last us till the next summer season. So what the fuck? We can't afford to be closed. But obviously this is a public concern where people are dying. So 
what the fuck? It's revealed that this mother put out ads in newspapers and sporting magazines and stuff like that for a $3,000 reward to capture the shark. So they have a meeting to decide what they want to do. And they're like, are you going to close the beaches? And the sheriff's like, yeah, we're going to close the beaches. And the mayor says, it's just for 24 hours. Brody just keeps getting undermined by the sheriff over and over again so far. And this is when he's like, I didn't agree to that. But like he doesn't have the unilateral authority to close the beaches. Mm -hmm. He's lucky that they're even letting him close the beaches for a day. Mm -hmm. Although they should be closed for more than that. It should be closed until they catch it. Yeah. Now we get an effect here that's very similar to the straw effect in Club Dread. That's what it's referencing. We get Quint, the introduction of Quint, who drags his fingernails across the chalkboard. That shark will swallow you whole. <laughs> you all know me. Know how I earn a living. I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. And he goes on talking about how fucked up sharks are. This shark swallow you whole. He's like, I'll do it. I'll catch your shark. $10,000. I value my neck a lot more than 3000 bucks, chief. I'll find him for three. But I'll catch him and kill him for ten. Ten thousand dollars for me by myself. For that you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. Our sheriff is actually a very intelligent man. He He's actually very well-rounded. He gets home and what's the first thing he does? He starts researching sharks. Yeah. You know, he doesn't just say, what the fuck are we going to do? He, he sits down. He's like, I better educate myself. Yeah. He finds out that his son is in the boat that he got him as his birthday present. He's yeah. like, get out of the boat. And the mom's like, oh, come on. It's his birthday tomorrow. Like, let him. He's gonna. He's just enjoying yeah. the boat. And then she looks at the book that her husband's been looking at. And it shows a shark coming out of the water and breaking up a boat with people in it. And she starts yelling, get out of the boat. <laughs> you heard your father. <laughs> Michael, did you hear your father out of the water now? No! It's a very clever movie that that way. It's not like, you know, a comedy or anything like that, but it's just very well-structured moments. Then yeah. that night, mm -hmm. before everyone else can get out there to go after that reward, we have these two drunk dudes who are like, let's go do it ourselves in the middle of the night. Yeah, and they take a roast from one of their wives' roasts that's, that's being saved holidays. for the holidays. Probably the Fourth, fourth. of July, yeah. yeah. They chain it to uh, like a hook and chain on the edge of a dock and they toss it out there hoping to basically fish for a shark. And they do it successfully. Yeah. But it and doesn't work out the way they had hoped. Almost eats the one dude because he grabs the, the roast, the shark does, Bruce does, even though it's a female, we're going to continue calling it Bruce, tugs on the chain and like rips out the supports from the dock and it falls into the water. So the one dude falls into the water. He's trying to swim his way back to the remains of the dock and his buddy's like, trust me, do not look behind you. <laughs> just keep swimming. Because he just can see. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Yeah, he can see this dorsal fin up out of the water and there's this shark coming for him. Uh, but the dude does manage to survive, but they lost the roast, and now his wife is going to kill him. 
So then the next day, we see the tons of, the hordes of people that are there for after this reward. And we get to meet Dreyfus. Yes. I love Hooper. him. We see Hooper, who is from the Oceanographic Institute. Kind of a snarky type of guy. Well, he's a young upstart. Everyone gives him shit for how young he is, even though he doesn't look so young. He, he was 28 at the time. So he's younger than we are. But he had like this full beard and yeah, he, he but I guess for the time he looked young to them and everyone gives him shit for being young. <sighs> but he really, really knows what he's talking about. We get a little bit more of his story later on. He's rich. He's inherited lots and lots of money and he puts that towards his passion, which is sharks. And that's he does he doesn't work for the Oceanographic Institute because he's fascinated by sharks and he does it for a job. He doesn't need a job. <laughs> he does it because it drives him, and he's obsessed with sharks. And he can't believe what he's seeing with all these people, and he's just laughing. He's just yeah. like, they're all going to go out there and die, mm -hmm. basically. And he's just looking for Brody because Brody's the one who called the Institute. Yes. He finds him, and he's just like, you're going to let all this madness happen? And he's like, there's nothing I can do. Like, the people that we called him for backup aren't showing up, mm -hmm. and... Blah, blah, blah. So he's like, okay, well, I want to see the remains of the person. And this is where they go and they look at it. And Brody is obviously disgusted. Like, he's going to vomit as soon yeah. as he walks in and sees the he's body. Like, there was no way this wasn't a fucking shark. Yes. And I love how bossy he is. Do not smoke in here, please. Thank you. <laughs> when, uh, when the, when the, yeah, when Brody goes, goes to, to smoke. Yeah. I was in Jaws. <laughs> Much like your moisture evaporators. I'm mm. sorry, who's in there? God damn you! <laughs> I told you I didn't want to wear the damn mask! <laughs> it's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> I was in Jaws! I'm sorry, who's in there? It's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> damn you! I told you I didn't want to wear the damn mask! Look, I don't need this! I was in Jaws, okay? If you don't know, that was from... Saturday Night Live, <laughs> and it's the it. the screen test for potential actors for Star Wars. Yes. He's in a C-3PO costume. I told you I didn't want to wear, wear the thing. damn mask. It's trying to tell him, like, look, this was no boating accident. This was certainly a shark. And judging by the size of its bite, a big one. A big, big one. But amidst this, all the people are excited because they think they've caught the shark. Yes, they find what is a tiger shark, which is pretty big, but not no. big enough to be this shark. Hooper takes one look at it and he's like, there is no way uh -huh. that this bite mark is as big as the bite that the girl had. Yeah, and everyone kind of doesn't want to hear it because... They're too excited at the possibility that this is the actual thing. They're just like, yep, this is it. And everyone's even, getting together for, like, photographs, and Brody's excited, yeah, too. Yeah, even Brody's super stoked. It's he, not until he, Hooper tells him that's not the bite size. And Quint laughs at it. Uh-huh. Hooper is like, okay, fine. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope you've caught it. Let me open the shark up and look what's inside its intestines. And the mayor is very much against that. Yes. And it's just like, so you don't even want to make sure that you're actually saving these people? Yeah, no, he just wants to get rid of it. He he still thinks this is all just a fluke, and he cannot have any excuse 
to close the beaches. Now that they found a shark, this is an excuse to keep the beaches open, and that's all he's interested in. As the mayor, his top priority is the town's survival. Although, ultimately, when it comes to life-threatening dangers, his top priority should probably be the people of his town, but... (laughs) He interprets it differently. At the same time, this is when the mother shows up of the child who was she killed. She is going to get a look at this shark, and she's going to pay whoever caught it the $3,000 reward. But first... She walks up to the sheriff, and she says, you knew it was out there. You you left the beaches open, and now my boy is dead. And she slaps him. Yeah. Chief Brody. <laughs> yes. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go swimming anyway. You knew all those things. But still, my boy is dead now. And there's nothing you can do about it. My boy is dead. I wanted you to know that. And the mayor tries to comfort Brody. She's, he's like, she she's mistaken. She's wrong. She's wrong. And he goes, no, she isn't. She isn't. Brody knows that even though the mayor is the one that kept that beach open when he wanted to close it, he didn't do enough to keep this woman's son safe. So that night at dinner, we get a cute interaction between oh. Brody and his son. Who's matching his movements with his hands and his face, and it's so fucking adorable. It's very sweet. And I don't think Brody even recognizes it. Oh, no, he does. At the very end, when he puts his hands together, he realizes his son is doing the same thing. And then he kind of does different things to see his son match his movements. And it's it's very cute. It is adorable. Then he says to his son, give us a kiss. Yeah. And he kisses him and he says, now get out of here. <laughs> and it's the cutest thing. <laughs> it is really, really cute. So Hooper comes over because Brody invited him over for dinner. And they're talking Brody is just drinking wine. There, there's this. You want to let that of, breathe? <laughs> yeah, there's this kind of subplot that's implied. I think it's in the book more uh, that Brody is like an alcoholic. He drinks a lot, and a lot of different people drink a lot. But well, Quint drinks way more than he. Yes, does. Quint is the obvious alcoholic, but there is this sort of undercurrent. That, that Brody is as well, and it makes you question, why did they move away from, from New York? You know, could something have happened? We don't know. It, the movie doesn't go into it, but there is this kind of implied subplot of his alcohol problem. They're talking about the fact that he's afraid of the water, and they're like, oh yeah, there's a clinical name for that, and Brody goes, drowning. Yeah. <laughs> it's Aquaphobia. Good, it's a really good yeah. line. <laughs> Dreyfus convinces Brody we need to go and open up the shark. Mm -hmm. So they do. They break into the boathouse or whatever where it is. And they don't find a human inside of it. And as he explains the digestive tract, it's not that fast. Yeah. It it would take more than a day to digest a boy. And there is no boy. There is, however, a license plate from further down the coast. From Louisiana. Yeah, because it will eat anything. Calls it a garbage can. Yeah. 
Hooper convinces Brody to go out at night, assuming that this shark is a night feeder, even though only 50% of the attacks we've seen so far have happened at night. Hooper's totally wrong about this, by the way. Most everything happens during the day, throughout the rest of this. But Hooper assumes from his knowledge that he's a night feeder. The shark is a night feeder. So they're going to go out and they're going to try to find it. I like the conversation of how he gets him to go. Yeah. I forget what he says, but it's like, I'm not. Yes, you are. I can't. Yes, you can. <laughs> Where are you going? We've got to find him right now. He's a night feeder. On the water? Well, if we're looking for a shark, we're not going to find him on the land. Yeah, but I'm not drunk enough to go out on the boat. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You can't do that. Yes, you can. The Dreyfus, relationships between people are very good. Yes, and Dreyfus is convincing Brody, we need to go and look into this. Yeah. So they go out on the super nice boat that he has, and they find an abandoned boat. Yeah. It belongs to one of the fishermen. Oh, jeez, these night scenes are so fucking terrifying. Like, especially when Hooper gets all kitted up. And jumps in the water. He just gets in the water. He just got finished talking about how it's a night feeder. He finds a hole in the boat, in the side of the boat, underwater. And it and it, a tooth, which is gigantic, which he later describes as the size of a shot glass. As he's looking at the tooth, a head pops up. And it's the first, like, real big jump scare of the movie. And it terrifies Hooper. And he drops his light and the tooth. And they fall to the bottom of the ocean, and now they're gone. They don't have that proof that they needed. It's a great jump scare. Yeah. It's really well done. Just this waterlogged head rolling over into view, and it's oof. So they go and they tell the mayor, it's a shark. It's still out there. It's huge. It killed this fisherman. The mayor is still incredulous about it. He's like, how do you know it's a shark? Well, you should have seen this tooth. Really? Where is this tooth? Do you have it? And Hooper's like, no, I don't. And he tries to explain to him the line he uses is Mr. Vaughn, what we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, an eating, an eating machine. machine. It's really a miracle of evolution. All this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks. And that's all. Now, why don't you take a long, close look at this sign? And what he's pointing to is the Amity Island billboard, which has a woman in the water, and somebody's painted all over it, vandalized it, her screaming, shark! And her eyes are really big, and there's a shark fin in the water. And he says, those proportions are correct. <laughs> but Vaughn, the mayor, says... Love to prove that, wouldn't you? Get your name into the National Geographic. So he feels like they have an incentive for it to be a shark, and that's why it's okay for him not to believe them. Yeah, and this is when Dreyfus just gives up. He just starts laughing like, there's nothing. I can't I help can this man. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. These This person is an asshole, and I'm going to Alaska for here, so fuck you. Yeah, uh-huh. But Brody manages to convince him to stay a little while longer. They open up the beaches again. Because it's the 4th of July. Yeah, and all you the, yell this shark. montage of all the people that come on. You yell shark and you've got to panic on the 4th of July. <laughs> it's all psychological. You yell barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. But nobody's getting in the water. They have all these boats and dudes with guns out there watching the water. 
but nobody's getting in until Vaughn convinces one of the councilmen to get his family in the water. Meanwhile, Brody has told his own son to go into the pond. Now, this what doesn't make sense about this is that Brody talks to Hooper at one point and says, is it true that most shark attacks occur in less than 10 feet of water? And the shallows. Yeah, the shallows, the shallows. <laughs> um, and Hooper confirms it for him. So why he would tell his son to go into the shallow portion of the well, water. Well, because at this point, the shark hadn't been in that area. Yeah, but it seems like a bad judgment call on Brody's part. But he does it thinking it would be the safest thing. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, there's a fin in the water. Somebody sees it, shrieks shark, and everyone panics. Chaos. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Absolute chaos, and everyone runs back on the land. Including the famous woman who stands there with her child just screaming. Yeah. <laughs> what? And also and, like, the old dude dragged being, in. Yeah, yeah, the old dude being fucking trampled by everybody. So it's absolute anarchy and chaos until we see... The fin flopped down and two kids come pop up. They had a cardboard fin that they were scaring people with. He made me do it. Yeah, he points to him because there are all these guns drawn on him. <laughs> and they're like, shit. It was just a prank. Martin, it's just a hoax. There are two kids with a cardboard fin. Is everyone there okay? Did everyone get out of the water all right? While all this is going on, we see that Bruce. Sh- sh- shark! In the water, shark. This woman's performance was stellar. <laughs> shark, the shark. Now what? Bruce has approached the boat with Brody's son and his friends on it, and there's another dude. Hey guys, what you yeah. doing? Ah! <laughs> His boat gets knocked instead, and he gets knocked in the water. And there's lots of chaos and people trying to rescue these kids. And finally, we see lots of blood and we see a limb. But then we see the kid and the kid is whole. And it's revealed that this limb belongs to that other boater. And that leg looked real. Yeah, it was very good. It looked real. It was very good. (laughs) Now, Brody's like, oh, it's on, shark. It just got personal. (laughs) Yes. He says basically to the mayor, like, this is this is happening. I am spending the $10,000. You are giving me $10,000 and I'm hiring Quint. He's a shark hunter. It's what he does. And he is going to solve this problem. And we're going to go with him. Yeah. Hooper and Brody insist on going with him. This is also when the mayor realizes that he fucked up and he tries to convince Brody that he's sorry. And Brody's just not having any of it. He's like, no, we're gonna fuck you. You just write the check. And I we'll do take care appreciate of this. that he says, look, my kids were out there too. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's everybody- not because I wanted people to die or I was willing to risk lives. I genuinely thought there wasn't a problem. Yeah. I mean, it's because his greed blinded him. Yes. His concern for the well being of the island blinded him to the reality of the danger. Yes. Meanwhile, they go off with Quint. And Quint, for whatever reason, does not like Dreyfus. <laughs> Okay, so in real life, they fucking hated each other. Some people boil it down to... Didn't they say that Quint was kind of a method actor? Oh, he was drunk all the time. Like, actually drunk. But also that, like, 
his character didn't like him, so he didn't like him. Yeah, but he was very, very belligerent, and and some people on the crew chalk it down to, at one point, he says he couldn't get a line out or something like that because he was too drunk, and so Dreyfus just grabs the drink from him and chucks it. And then one day, he was coming down the gangplank, he had a glass of bourbon in his hand, and he said, help me out, will you, Richard? And I said, you want me to help you out? Yeah. Richard took the shot glass out of Robert's hand and threw it out the window. At which point, every drinker on the crew went, ooh. That was the uh, shot heard around the world. It got ugly. It got ugly. But um, it, it was also Quint and Hooper living out that relationship as Shaw and Dreyfus. Robert Shaw would antagonize him the entire time. But again, this only fed into the character work. And like Kelsey said, he was a character actor. He was drunk when he was supposed to be drunk. And that meant that they wasted an entire night's shoot because he could not get the speech out. And he apparently called up Spielberg that night and apologized for ruining the day's work and said, I'm going to show up tomorrow, and I'm going to be stone-cold sober. And he did, and he fucking sucked. <laughs> and so they let him drink again. And then the after he drank a little bit, the first shot was the speech, the Indianapolis speech that he gives, which we'll talk about in a little bit, like the one that actually made it on film, which is just, just a... A master class of acting in that scene. It's so fucking good. But let's talk about what happens when the three of these guys go out on sea together. The three caballeros. The three caballeros. The rest of this movie is them out on the ocean. Yes. There's a conflict between Quint, who's an old school hunter, and Hooper, who is a new school tracker. He gives him shit. He's like, oh, what are you, some kind of half-assed astronaut? When he sees all the equipment and stuff that he has, he's like, what the hell is this thing? When he's looking at all the all the steel and he says it's an anti-shark cage. And this is the great line that's in Clerks. You go inside the cage. Man goes into cage. Cage goes in the water. Cage goes into salsa. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Sharks in the salsa. Our shark. Our shark. It might sound like nonsense, but the point he's making is that you don't stand a chance. (laughs) Our shark, the shark we're hunting, is fucking huge. And it's ruthless. It will tear apart this cage. That's why his next line is he sings, Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu to you, fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. And so never more shall we see you again. <laughs> He's saying goodbye to Hooper, you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. He makes him, like, do lots of things to prove what he knows about being a seaman and all that. Yeah. But if you notice, uh, he's very easy on the sheriff. I assume that's because the sheriff never pretended to know anything about the ocean. Yeah, I mean, he's perturbed that he has to deal with other people. He would rather do this alone, but I think he acknowledges that's the only way he's going to get this $10,000 is if he lets these two men come along with him. And he, you're right, he does not put up with Hooper because Hooper thinks he knows everything. 
And Hooper has a lot of book learning. He doesn't have the actual in-the-field knowledge. Nowadays, these kids, they take out everything. Radar, sonar, electric toothbrushes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, it proves one thing, Mr. Hooper. Proves that you wealthy college boys don't have the education enough to admit when you're wrong. Hooper's a sailor. He would sail boats in competitions and regattas and stuff like that. But he's not an actual shark hunter who would use like harpoons and stuff like that. That's why he kind of doesn't like Hooper. But you're right. The the chief, he kind of coddles. At one point, the chief pulls the wrong line and all the oxygen tanks fall out. And Hooper's like, you're going to get us killed. These things will explode, which sets us up for later foreshadowing. Hooper's all pissed off and he kind of, you know, sets it back up and storms off. You're going to get us killed. The chief goes back to doing his job. Quint says quietly, next time, if you don't know, just ask me which line. Mm-hmm. Hey, Chiefy, next time you just ask me which line to pull, right? It's like he's willing, he respects the chief. Mm-hmm. And he's willing to teach the chief. He's not willing to give that same concession to Hooper. Mm-hmm. Not until later, at least. So there's a few things that happen out on the boat. We can kind of get through a lot of this really quickly because it's more about the atmosphere and you should have watched it. (laughs) (laughs) So they lay chum down, which is all of the dead meat parts that are all bloody that go in the water. So it'll attract the shark. They end up seeing its fin and they're able to estimate its size Hooper says 20 feet. Quint corrects him and says 25 and three tons. They end up getting to attach a barrel to it. They have these flotation barrels that are designed to when the when the shark tries to go underwater, the buoyancy of the barrel will yank it back up and basically keep it around so it can't just dive and escape. Uh, Ultimately, throughout this movie, they end up attaching three different barrels to it, and it's still manages to pull it along it even manages to pull the boat along and almost rips the boat apart it pulls this first barrel under the water and it disappears this is the night that they spend on the water there's nothing to do but get drunk and tell stories this is kind of where quint and hooper are endearing themselves to each other because hooper is showing off all of his scars and quint saying i got one better and back and forth and back and forth and they're like okay he kind of respects him after that. It's cute. They, they're they showing battle scars and yeah. wounds. And I got that beat. I got that beat. <sighs> uh-huh. And Brody says, okay, well, what about that one? And Quint's like, what one? It's like, that one, the one on your arm. Quint says, oh, that's a tattoo. I got it removed. And Hooper makes a, jo- a joke. He's like, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Mother. And he laughs. Quint's straight-faced. He kind of puts his hand on... Hooper's arm and he says Mr. Hooper that's the USS Indianapolis and Hooper stops laughing he kind of just loses all that fun energy he had Brody has no idea what's going on Brody senses something important is happening and he asks him well what happened and Quint tells the story and I am I won't do it but I am extremely tempted just to put the whole fucking scene here at this point And just have you listen to the whole thing, because it is just so good. 
he tells the story of the USS Indianapolis, which is a true story. The story is, is that the USS Indianapolis delivered the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. They were dropping it off at a small island, and it was a really super secret mission. So nobody even knew they were gone until, like, weeks later. But they're out on the water, and they get hit by a Japanese torpedo, and it sinks the boat. There's about a thousand men. Half hour later, a tiger shark shows up. There's no distress signal. And so they're just trapped out there trying to float in the water and survive. And it talks about how they tried to survive, what would happen uh, when sharks would come and start feeding. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. Ultimately, of all the men that went into the... Yeah. Of all the men that went into the water, he says 1,100 men went into the water, 316 men came out, and the sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. And then he smiles and lifts his glass and says, Anyway, we delivered the bomb. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out and the sharks took the rest. June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. It's a very, very intense scene and very powerfully acted and I kind of just want to watch that scene again just by itself. It's so good. As you know, I'm a big fan of patience. And he takes his time and conveys every single line. And he mumbles through the whole thing, but enough to where his cadence has kind of a rhythm to it. And it's very soothing, but also serious. So you're kept kind of in this weird sort of tense middle ground there. And it's terrifying. We get the whole thing just from this one dude telling a story. There's no flashbacks. We don't see anything. We don't hear any crazy noises or anything like that. It's just Quint telling the story, and it's horrendous. And we see why he hates he sharks. Tough exterior that he has. Yeah, and, and that's what he does for a living is he hunts down and kills sharks. Because he fucking hates them. <laughs> He's basically Captain Ahab from Moby Dick. Oh, we passed up. You're going to need a bigger boat. That's the other line from Clerks that's in this movie. We're going to need a bigger boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. This is my favorite moment from this film. Uh-huh. I remember very clearly the first time I saw this when I was a little kid on television. I remember that scene where he tried shoveling this shit and then, whoa. The yeah. look on his face is so good. There, there's like this, I believe he's looking at an enormous shark. Yeah, there is this over-the-shoulder shot. He's looking back towards camera and he's chumming, and as I he's doing it, shit. he's muttering back to them, all upset that he has to do this job. And then the shark comes up out of the water, and it's gigantic. And it's one of the first really good clear shots we get of this shark. And we should mention 
that if you're paying attention and you're not, you know, shriveled up with fear, which most people were the first time they saw it, the mouth, oh, it's bad. Yeah, you can tell it's on a hinge and yeah. But anyway, it's rotating and shit. It's still absolutely terrifying. And then it cuts to the shot of Brody sitting up bolt upright and it's this incredible shot. It's really good, like you say. And then the next thing we know, he's walking into the cabin of the boat and he says, you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> slow ahead. I can go slow ahead. Come on down and chump some of this shit. You're going to need a bigger boat. Because he actually saw this shark and it is gigantic. Even if they did manage to kill it, they wouldn't be able to carry it in on that boat. In Blow, because that takes place right around the time when this movie came out, there's a part where Johnny Depp is realizing they've got too much money. Yeah. They've got too much cash for the house, and he goes, we're going to need a bigger boat. (laughs) No room. Try the closet. Uh, We're going to need a bigger boat. So it's this night, when they're all serious and everything, that the shark just decides, fuck it, I'm going to ram this boat. And he does. And he starts to poke holes in the hull. And the boat starts to take on water. And... It catches on fire. Yeah, the engine gets destroyed. And so they're spending the next morning just trying to fix the boat. And we see a shooting star. Yes, which apparently actually happened. Brody tries to call for help on the radio. He tries to call the Coast Guard and Quint comes in and just smashes the thing. He's like, no, we are doing this. We are not calling for help because honestly, he is prepared to die. He said he wouldn't risk his neck for three grand. He wouldn't do it for any less than 10. But this is the ultimate shark. And if he is going to die, it's going to be dying hunting this shark. And then Chief Brody says, you're certifiable. (laughs) Excuse me, Chief. That's great! That's just great! Now where the hell are we, huh? You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? You're certifiable! You're certifiable! It's morning. They're working on the engine and all of that, and they see the shark again. Quint is obsessed, and he's trying to get more barrels into it, and he's trying to chase after it, and he's pushing the engine really hard, and this is when they get the three barrels on the shark. Not with three, he can't. Yeah, he does anyway. <laughs> and they tie it off to the moors on the boat, and it just starts ripping the cleats off of the boat itself. And it's going to tear the boat apart, and it starts to do that. Yeah, and he, and they're trying to get away, and the, the shark is chasing after them. And he's turned the other way, too, at one point, and starts dragging the boat backwards, even with the engine on. <sighs> and it's intense. Quint just won't give up, and he just keeps putting his the pedal to the metal, even though they keep telling him, you're going to ruin the engine. Yeah. He's like, we're, we're bringing it closer to shore, we're going to get him in the shallows, <laughs> in the shallow water, they're going to try to trap him there, and prevent him from being able to dive any further, and the engine does in fact fail, and it's taking on lots of water, and it's starting to sink, and so Hooper's like, okay, I'm going in the water. And he goes into the anti-shark cage, which they call it. I have strychnine, and if I can get it in its mouth, then it'll kill it. We'll kill it that way. But he drops the needle. He drops the needle because the shark comes up from behind him and jostles the cage. And now he's fucked. He needs to get out of this cage. Now, you said that was a real shark, right? It was a real shark, yes. It was just not 
actually a, Richard a great Dreyfus. White. <laughs> no, I, it might have been a great white. I don't know, but oh. it was not Richard Dreyfus. Just to show the size of the shark, they needed a smaller actor and a smaller cage to make the shark look bigger. You can see it the way it's thrashing about and everything like that. If you want a good shot of of what sharks do once they have something in its mouth, that's what they do. It's kind of like a crocodile. Crocodile clamps down and it wraps you up and it spins you around until you're toast. (laughs) The cage is absolutely destroyed and nobody knows what happened to Hooper. So they're like, well, fuck, Hooper is dead. And then the shark just fucking leaps out of the water, which we know it does. But this one obviously has a vendetta, which sharks don't do that. And it lands on the boat and it's pulling that thing down. And the and the stern is tilting up and Quint slides down and has his feet up against the mouth of the shark, trying to prevent himself from falling into the mouth. And the shark's thrashing about. And yes, it looks fake, but it's still terrifying. And if anyone can think of a movie... Pretty sure it's a girl. She slides down something. Her legs get on the on the mouth of the animal and she's closing with it. Her legs are closing with the mouth of the animal. Chris says, I must be thinking of Jaws. But I don't think so. I, I believe that there is a movie out there that also does this. I yes. just can't think of what it is. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. And I don't I don't think it's this, but like for some reason I keep seeing the image of the little girl from Jurassic Park. Yeah. And I'm like that doesn't happen in Jurassic Park. I know it doesn't. So it must be like a blonde girl. Well, she has her feet up and her hands up That's with the glass I mean. sunroof of the truck as the T-Rex is pushing it down. It so might, it might even, look like that. It might even be a cartoon, but Maybe. It it's not done for like comedic effect. Like she's actually in peril and her legs are on the mouth of the animal and it's mm-hmm. trapping shut. If anybody can think of what this is, please, please tell, tell me. <laughs> yeah. But Quint is not lucky and he ends up being devoured by the shark. It clamps down on him right in his torso and blood immediately comes out of his mouth. Brody is now alone and isolated. He ends up hitting the shark with an air tank and ends up tossing it down into its mouth, hoping that it will puncture the air tank, but it doesn't. It just swallows the air tank whole. It's preparing us for the best moment. Yes. Uh-huh. And this this boat is going down and he's trying to stay as much out of water as he possibly can get. He's up in the crow's nest. Yeah. And he has this little rifle, which hasn't done much to the shark so far, but that's all he has. And the shark comes up on him, and he's trying to shoot at it, and he sees the tank. And he's like, ooh, I got this. And he's like, come on, open your mouth. Open your mouth. And he's, like, firing at him, and then he says the great line. Smile, you son of a... All right. All right. All right, come on. Show me the tank. Show me the tank. Blow up. Smile, you son of a bitch, but there's an explosion which cuts off his bitch, which is just like Yippie-Kaye motherfucker in the fourth Die Hard movie when he shoots himself and the gunshot replaces fucker. Yippie-Kaye! Ah! 
Everyone was all upset about that, but it's right here in Jaws, and everyone loves Jaws, or they should. Mm-hmm. Well, this was 1975. Yeah. <laughs> the shark fucking explodes, and we see half the shark float down into the water with all the blood coming out, and it's an amazing effect, and it's probably a real shark. I don't know. I don't know. If they had a dead shark or something. What makes you think it was a Oh, because Spielberg likes to use real props in his movies. No, because it looks like real meat, really bleeding. I, I, it, it could be a prop. I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying it looks very realistic. Well, we know Spielberg likes to do that. Oh, right, with the dead bodies and poltergeist. (laughs) Yes, that's true. And now miraculously alone. Well, Brody's alone out on the ocean, but at least he's kind of close to shore because Quint pushed the boat towards shore, so he's. He's not too far out. He might be able to swim home and then poop up plops Hooper, who manages to get on the other side of a reef from the shark and get away from it. He makes his way back and now it's the two of them. And Brody tells him that Quint didn't make it, but they get one of the barrels. Right? They get the barrels. They get two barrels and a board lashed between them and they throw their bodies on top of it and kick, s- kick, kick, kick their kick. way home. And he says, I used to be afraid of the water. And Dreyfus laughs and says, can't imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> I used to hate the water. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Well, they saved 10 grand. Yeah. They didn't have to pay Quint. <laughs> uh, so that is Jaws. It took us an hour and 15 minutes of recording to get through the movie. So... Do you have much for lightning round? I definitely have lots written that we didn't talk about, but now that I know how long we've been going on, I'm not going to bother. Jumanji. Is that it? Yes. Jumanji. Jumanji. I don't remember what animal it is, but I think it's the adult and she's blonde and I think she has a braid just like the girl in Jurassic Park did. She slides down and her, I think it's a crocodile. <laughs> yes. There it is. I got it. We'll have to watch that. Good for you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> this is another story that some people know, some people don't. But there is a there's a series of podcasts called Inside Blank. There's Inside Psycho. There's Inside Jaws. And it basically tells the story of the production of these films and ancillary stories. And this is the first time I ever heard this story was on that podcast. But I've since heard it corroborated in other places. But when they were young, before they were huge established directors, Spielberg, Lucas, Scorsese, and Milius were like really good buddies in like the youth film scene, like the upstart filmmaker scene. Because Steven Spielberg was making this movie, it was his first major film, he brought his buddies late night to one of the warehouses that they were working with where they were building the shark. And they had the shark's head and the jaws and all of that all set up. And it was set up on a mechanical thing to to open. And he was going to show his friends. And George Lucas stuck his head in the mouth of the shark. And Spielberg closed the mouth on Lucas. But then they couldn't open it back up again because again these machines are no good and they kept breaking all the time lucas got stuck and they were finally able to ultimately free him 
and they immediately bolted thinking that shit we broke the shark shit we broke the shark but no it's that machine just wasn't working anyway Yeah, from what we heard on that podcast Chris was just talking about, we heard that basically the guy who said, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can make that shark for you had no idea what he was doing yeah, uh-huh. and was just lying straight through his teeth every time he to said he knew job. what he was doing. Yeah. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes, Cassie? I- I'm going to guess it has 100%. It has a 97. Okay. Compelling, well-crafted storytelling and a judicious sense of terror ensure Steven Spielberg's Jaws has remained a benchmark in the art of delivering modern blockbuster thrills. A Metacritic of 87, no cinema score. Overrated or underrated? Almost exactly what I'm going to give it. Almost. Okay, if you were to even, if the word overrated was to come out of your mouth, I would have gone, fuck you. Well, my number is under that. I understand that, but <laughs> you refrained from saying overrated. <laughs> what, are you going to give it 95, 96? I was going to give it 95. 95. Look, anyone who enjoys film, anyone who likes horror... If you don't like this movie, I don't know what to do with you. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't even know what to say to you. It's so excellently put together, well-crafted, well-acted, well-executed. The music is fantastic. The shots are amazing. Cinematography is great. Mm-hmm. There's, just, there's just nothing really to complain about it, except for little intricate things. Yeah. Like the fact that they clearly didn't really understand <laughs> what a white, great white shark is like. Yeah. The bubbling of the blood, the shark itself. The awkward musical cues that sometimes happen, John Williams. Uh, All those tiny things is why it's not getting 100%. Just Uh, those teeny tiny things. It's it's such a good movie, but I can't can't let the shark go. I I think the movie as a whole is a testament to working with what you have. People talk about Star Wars... And how the prequels were George Lucas having unlimited resources and no one telling him no. And that's why they turned out the way they did compared with the first Star Wars movie, later called The New Hope, where nothing went right. He was filming in the middle of the desert and (laughs) everything was breaking down and C-3PO was falling over all the time. And like it was miserable shooting and things didn't work out right and oh we can't afford this person to be in like a hairy lizard costume so i guess han solo is just a dude now (laughs) wait han solo yes this is what i'm talking about he was supposed to be a lizard like this weird sort of monster lizard hairy thing it was i they're photos I'll, I'll show you a picture of it they're concept drawings and yet george lucas still claims that they were all set up from well, the beginning he had i believe that he had an overview of the story i do not believe Princess that they were leia written. and the lizard are gonna have sex yes, exactly <laughs> right no things obviously had to change at certain points but my point is is that these two guys that did so great together i mean think of it this way jaws came out in 75 And did so extremely well, and it was, like, the number one film. And then Star Wars came out two years later later and unseated Jaws. They had the sort of professional, I wouldn't even call it a rivalry, but a back and forth. And then there's E.T. And, like, they would would keep 
like putting out ads in the trades saying like congratulations on your movie and like shit like that. Like they absolutely love each other. They're really good friends. But both of them in major films that ended up being huge, obviously Star Wars is bigger than Jaws, managed to make something incredible out of intense hardship and everything going wrong. And because of that, when I see that shark, I don't see that's a shitty shark. I see, man, just a just a bunch of people who had no idea what they were doing managed to make that. And they managed to make that into this, the movie. <laughs> Whenever I see anything that's just not quite right and it's a little rickety and it's a little eh, <laughs> I think, man, they made an incredible movie out of this shit. This movie is is a hundred for me. It, absolutely, it's a hundred. I could not give it any less. I I've said even, before, one hundred is not perfect. I didn't even give Poltergeist a hundred. Yeah, I've given other movies a hundred. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. It is the highest rating I can give a movie, though. I can think of off the top of my head. I can think of one other movie that we haven't watched that I will absolutely give a hundred to. I know what it is. Do you? Do you I think do. the audience can guess? Probably. That's Jaws, folks. I don't think I could gush any more about this movie. I could. I've got tons of other things I want to talk about, but it's okay. Yeah, this isn't comprehensive. I mean, it it would literally just be me going beat by beat through the movie saying, I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that. I tried to get through the movie as fast as I could, and here we are almost an hour and a half into our recording. <laughs> it's not the longest we've ever spent on a movie, though. No. Uh, a lot of this movie, I mean, it's a 1970s horror film. A lot of this movie is quiet. And what's the keyword? What's my buzzword? Patient. But I don't think this movie is as patient as the movies that you normally talk about. Because mm-hmm. those moments in this film actually keep my attention. Because they're they're built on tension. Yeah. As opposed to a lot of other times where it's like, I'm supposed to be tense right now. Yeah. Well, I know something successful. is going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And part of that tension, again, built up in the editing by not being able to see the shark. Our next the movie, music. Our next movie is going to do something with that, which we'll talk about. But yeah, that's, uh, that's 1975's Jaws. Kelsey, before we get to our next movie, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Who directed 1995's Seven? David Fincher. Yeah. You want to know something funny, guys? What? These cards have been uh, dropped several times. So, like, if yeah. you're thinking, like, why don't you ever shuffle them? They've been shuffled lots <laughs> and not because we did it on purpose. So. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Yep. In 13 Ghosts, 2001. Ooh. Ooh. What is the given translation of the Latin phrase Oculoris Infernum? Oh, shit. It's that big machine in yes, the, at the end of the movie. Yes, that they really never explain. Ocularis Infernum. Does it mean look into the inferno? Look into hell? Close. A glimpse it's a of noun. hell? It's a noun. Um, it's an object. What would you call a, that object? A mirror? The eye of hell. Well, Oculus. That's what eye is. <laughs> That title is a lie. Well, they would refer to a mirror as an Oculus because it's an eye. 
It sees things. What a lie. <laughs> Ooh, what a lie. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, moving on to our next film, which is 2016's The Shallows, which hasn't a snowball's chance in hell to live up to Jaws, but we'll see, can it? Written by Anthony Jeswinski, directed by J-A-U-M-E, Haume, Colette Seurat, is the director's last name, starring Blake Lively, Oscar Hayanada, Angelo Josue Lozano Corzo. What is The Shallows about? A young woman decides to go surfing in an abandoned area and ends up regretting it because a shark is there. Yep. Should people watch this movie? If you're into surfing, it's pretty cool. Movie loves surfing. And there's some cool shots in it, too. There are. If it's on TV, I'd watch it. Yeah. I think I would recommend this movie, but with caveats, right? Like, it's nowhere near as good as Jaws because, of course, it's not. And if you just saw Jaws, you might be bummed out by this movie. But if you're looking for, like... A survival movie? I'd say this is closer to, like, what if there was a monster in Castaway? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it, it's more about her survival and her ingenuity when she has zero resources. And that's really interesting to me. And there's this even more predatory shark, even more so than in Jaws. Yeah. Um, like, it I specifically think- targets her. Last week I said that. I said that I've read that a lot of people didn't like it because it felt like the shark was coming after her. Uh-huh. Anyone who's seen Jaws can say, yeah, well, the shark kind of has a vendetta against them by the end of the film. Yeah, and if you've seen The Revenge, <laughs> the shark literally hunts them down. But The Shallows is even worse than that. Yeah. It has an entire whale that it could eat if it wanted to. And it refuses to. Yeah. It refuses to go hunting anywhere else. It has identified the thing it wants to kill, and it will kill it. Yeah, and, and it seems like it's more about just killing than it is actually eating. Yes. Because I don't, I, I mean, Dreyfus calls them eating machines. Yeah. And that's all they do. Perfect eating machine. So you're telling me that they, they eat, never they get full? They swim and they have babies. Do they never get full, though? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, especially if we know because a full stomach do, takes more than a day to digest. If they do, then the shallows is bullshit. <laughs> right, because, yeah, well, well, we'll get into it. And it's a little bit goofy in places and really, really contrived. But in the ways that it is contrived and unbelievable, it is ridiculously badass. Yeah, uh, and Blake Lively actually does a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, she apparently did this because her husband, Ryan Reynolds, did Buried. So she wanted to do a bottle movie too? Yes. Yep. Where she was stranded and alone. And she's like, it was the hardest acting job he's ever had. And it was the most rewarding. So, you know, Ryan Reynolds bought that casket. Yes. Or he kept the casket and he wants to be buried in it. Yes. So, I mean, I think it is worth watching. Would I seek it out? No. Yeah. If but, it's on TV, watch it. But there's some really cool moments in this movie. To that extent, I would recommend you see it. 
You can take our advice or leave it, and when we get back, we will talk about 2016's The Shallows. On June 24th. What is this beach called? This is paradise. The attack <gasps> is just Please help me. the beginning. I got you! Got- if you think you know how this ends, you have no idea. The shallows. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does The Shallows begin? We see a little boy on a beach playing with a soccer ball, and he finds a helmet with a GoPro, and we see some stuff littered on the beach. Um, and he witnesses a video of a man being attacked by a shark. So he runs off, and then we go back in time. Yeah, before before we go back in time, though, we see... A part of a surfboard with a little smiley face on it on the beach just ripped in half. And we don't know what that's about yet. Don't worry. It'll be poignant. (laughs) We then meet our main character, played by Blake Lively. Nancy. She does not have a last name. Right. So Nancy is in a car with some stranger. Carlos or Charlie, played by Oscar Hayanada. Who is taking her... In his car to some beach. Now, we didn't get to see how she met this guy. We didn't get to see how she was able to tell him where she's going, since she doesn't know the name of the beach. She has pictures. She literally compares the beach to the pictures when she gets there. She shows the guy, hey, do you know where this beach is? Yes, I'm actually, I actually live by there. I can drive you there on my way home. And that's how you wake up in a basement with your arms totally. cut off. <laughs> totally. That's why her dad and her sister are so fucking worried about her. She he looks like a nice guy, though. She has a friend. Who has too much of a hangover to go surfing with her. So she is going to be out there by herself. They get to the beach and she is explaining that her mother came here when she found out she was pregnant with Nancy. And she has pictures of her on the beach. And she claims that the beach is the beach of the pregnant woman because there are some rocks that kind of look like a pregnant woman and the dude's like no like like some um um mujer embarazado no like no see uh nariz in the spetos is is the stomach no i mean they do kind of look like that yeah no i see what she's saying but he's just like no Uh uh-huh Probably because that's not what the beach is called in any way. Like, have you seen the man in the United States going from north to south? He's wearing, like, a chef's hat or something like that, and he has a pot belly, and his foot is Louisiana. No. Yeah, well, that's there, too, people say. (laughs) (laughs) He wants her to really enjoy it here. Like, he's like, don't look at your phone. Look at the beauty of this place. And he refuses to take her money when she tries to give him money for picking her up. Yeah. When he asks her, how do you plan to get home? She says, Uber? But, like, you don't know where you are. Yeah, that's a joke. But, okay, but what's the real answer? Yeah. 
why not ask this guy to come and pick you up at a certain time? Right. I know that sounds shitty. Right. But he seems pretty more than willing, and you don't know where you're going to go. And if you're going to plan to do an Uber, why not pick this guy and be like, I will pay you to come and pick me up at a certain time. Considering how no one knows where I am, I don't know how to tell people where I am. Yeah, also, she's in a... She's on a hidden beach in Mexico. Where she barely speaks the language. But she has cell reception enough to do some FaceTiming. Like, that's weird. But she just assumes she can get Uber here. And I get how that's like a stupid gringo joke. But like, (laughs) why? What is your real plan, Nancy? Then we see her. He leaves because he's just like, oh, well. Be careful, he says, when she asks what the name of the beach is. So she takes everything out of her bag, and everything is neatly labeled and put in bags, and I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I guess it's because she's supposed to be... She's a med student, so, like, I don't know if that's supposed to play into that character. Also, she knows what she's doing. She's... We're getting the message that she's competent and serious about what she's doing. She's there to enjoy herself, but she's not playing it as much by ear as it may seem like she's she's coming prepared so she gets out there and chris tells me that she did all of her stunts except for the actual surfing yes so the that's surfing exciting. was done by isabella nichols from australia did the surfing for her and her face was composited on top of isabella's face but the rest of the movie was her stunts That's according to Blake Lively. Theoretically, she could be lying, but I doubt it. It would be easily disproved if she was. So, but she claims the only stunt double she had for this movie was for the surfing. That doesn't mean that there isn't any additional special effects. Like when she gets dragged across the bottom of the ocean, the ocean floor a little bit towards the beginning. A lot of that is not real. <laughs> <laughs> but so she goes out there and it's pretty cool. We get a, a fun sequence of her paddling out and we get to watch her go under an enormous wave. Oh, she does that a couple times. We see it like three or four times, but it's still cool. It's very cool. Unfortunately, the music and the slow-mo are not cool. Listen, this movie thinks it is way, way more important than it is. (laughs) It thinks it's inspirational, which, you know what, maybe it is, but it really relies heavily on stupid stuff like music and... Her mom died of cancer because, of course, she did. It's and one now, of the three C's. Yes. <laughs> if you watch Catfish, you know there are the three C's. It's cancer, car accident, and coma, <laughs> which are just easy ways to get uh, sympathy from somebody when you've done something wrong and you're lying, but you don't want them to know that. You just say, oh, I was in a coma or... <laughs> I just found out I have cancer or whatever. Like, that's... Anyway, it's something similar. It's like, if you took out... The story about the mom and the cancer has literally nothing to do with... Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. Ah, ah, ah. Her mother was a fighter, Chris. Right, that's... that's and she's a fighter, too. This is what I'm talking about. It <laughs> thinks it's inspirational. <laughs> 
And like, you know what? The fact that she's a doctor plays into this a lot more than anything. Yeah. Then and and that's hardly even mentioned except for the fact that her dad doesn't want to want her to give up all the school she's already completed. <laughs> like there's so much surrounding this that's like my mom died of cancer and so that's why I'm just trying to discover myself. <laughs> What? I figured I would drop out of medical school because my mom died of cancer, which means you can't save everyone, which means what's the point of being a doctor? And now I realize I, you know, I am a fighter. And so I do want to be a doctor. Like, that's the point emotionally of this movie. That's the whole emotional story that this movie tells. And it tells it with some really dramatic over the top music. And... Yeah, it's something else. Just ignore that shit, really. Because it's it's eye-rollingly stupid. <laughs> so that all stems from the fact that there's bad music playing while she comes up yes. a wave. Well, because it's it, the music, it's like obviously supposed to be inspirational and cool and like <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I'm watching somebody surf. Like, do you ever watch surf videos? On YouTube or old VHSs or whatever. Or at islands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you ever watch these videos and you're just like, wow, I'm going to get my life together now because these guys surf really well. Like, no. <laughs> it's not inspirational. It is cool. And you may think, I wish I could do that. <laughs> the only thing it's really inspiring to do is maybe learn how to surf. Whoopty shit. <laughs> it has nothing to do with my mom died of cancer. <laughs> and stop trying to make it more important than it is. It's awesome. That's all it needs to be. So... <laughs> She gets out there past the break, and she sees that there's two dudes as well, and she asks them, hey, is there anything I should be aware of? And this is telling the audience what her perils will be. Yes. Uh-huh. Very obviously so. Yeah. They explain that there is a little bit of rocks that she needs to be careful of. Because at low tide, it reveals the rock and it becomes almost like a little island, uh -huh. but it also has uh, fire coral on it that if you touch it, it stings like jellyfish. Yes. And there's only one tide a day. That's setting us up for something later. Anything gnarly out here I should know about? There's some rocks over there. There's only one tide a day. And when the tide gets low, it becomes an island. There's some nasty fire coral. It stings like a jellyfish. Okay, gracias. At first... They ask her, hey, come on out and hang out with us. And she's like, no, I'm good. But then they end up surfing together and they end up hanging out together. And we get this little montage of them surfing. And I love the ocean. The beach is my happy place. Yeah. I always wished I had learned how to surf. And it was very fun. I enjoyed watching them surf. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. It's like watching an awesome surf video. They got some great, great shots. Yes. Most of this movie is not filmed on location. These parts are. Where is it? Australia. Oh, so it's Australia, not Mexico. Yeah, it's off the Gold Coast. But most of this film was shot in a giant tank. And you, there's some parts where you can see and it's very obvious. But the point that the director, Haume, makes 
is he tried to include at least one real shot in every sequence to trick your mind into thinking that it's real. Like he would set up a shot and then the rest of it would be totally fake. But your mind is now prepared to accept it as real. But the surf shots obviously are legitimate. So then she takes a break for lunch and she calls her sister and her father. And her sister automatically, just by looking at the picture, knows, oh my God, you're at mom's beach. For a crop? Hey! Guess where I am? Tijuana. <laughs> oh my God. No way. Mom's beach, right? It's just as beautiful as she said it was. And we get this whole long conversation about come home, get back into school. And her dad's really upset. And like, you know, your mom was a fighter. Just all that stuff we just talked about. Um, so she basically hangs up on her dad. Yeah. Because she's she's just not ready. Mm-hmm. She needs some alone time. Mm-hmm. But when they show us her hanging up the phone, we see it's already 530. So it's getting pretty late. Yeah. She just wants to go out one last time. Yes, that's what we find out. She goes out there and also she gets a confirmation text from her friend, I'm not coming. Although, did any of us think her friend was ever going to come? No? Uh, That whole plot element just passed me right by. Yeah. And the guys are like, come on, it's getting late. We should go in. And she says, oh, I just want to catch one more. Yeah, girl. It's getting late. Let's go in. I'm going to catch one last one. Okay. Nice meeting you guys. Buenos noches. It's always that. It's always wanting to catch that last one mm-hmm. that's going to ruin it for you. Yep. So what does she notice while she's out there? On Dolphins. Her last ride? Yes. So this is the, okay. The movie does this a few times and it's really upsetting. It's, there's no bathroom medicine cabinets to open and close to give us false jump scares. So instead they do it with, false POV. And this is the only time that I'm okay with it. (laughs) There's a POV shot of her and it looks, you know, she's sitting down or laying down on her surfboard or whatever. And it looks kind of like, oh yeah, she, I can see how she looks like a seal or whatever, you know, and it's from underneath and she's backlit obviously. And so it's like, oh man, the shark's coming for it. This is the moment when the shark's going to get her. And then Nope, it's just dolphins jumping over her. (laughs) And then they jump away, and it's cute. Dolphins are cute. I thought that that was a cute misdirect, but it's still a fake jump scare, which is a little bothersome, but it's funny. We said that's one of the excuses for a fake jump scare, if it's actually, like, legitimately funny. There are more fake POV shots that imply this is what the shark is seeing, and this time it turned out, oh, no, this is just what the dolphin was seeing. We didn't tell you whose point of view it was. <laughs> but for the rest of the movie, the implication of the POV shots is that it's the shark. And there are shots that are like, it's coming for her. It's getting really close. It's right on her heels. And then you find out that the shark was forever away and in a completely different direction. And that was just the camera saying, what if this was the shark? Yeah. And that's really Fucking cheap. Yeah. That's really bad. I agree. I hate that. (laughs) Like, we learn in Jaws that you can create tension by not showing things. There are these moments where she has to get in the water knowing that the shark is in there. And it's tense because she doesn't know where the shark is. And then they show us a point of view shot and it's close. And then it turns out that was just a lie. 
Like, how about just not show us the point of view and then we have to wonder where the shark is? That's more tense. That's scarier. Why would you cheat us and give us a worse experience as a result? Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yes, that all comes from a dolphin pops out of the water. <laughs> so the dolphins lead her over to a dead whale that they Humpback somehow whale. didn't see. Yeah, nobody saw. What? Yep. Just, how do you not smell it? Yeah. So she <laughs> she goes over to see, like, what is this? And then she finds out it's a whale. And it's all, there are obviously these bite marks. And she's like, oh, shit. And she puts into words what's happening here a little bit later in the movie. But what she's done is she's unknowingly ventured into the shark's feeding grounds. And the dudes that she was with earlier, they're like, yeah, no, there are no sharks here. What are you like at one point? Like, no sharks. What are you talking about? No sharks who are still on the beach, by the way, they haven't left yet. Mm -hmm. There's this moment where she's watching her bag and she feels kind of guilty for watching the bag. You do not know these men. And you're the only other person on here, and you're way out at sea. They could take whatever they want and leave. As a matter of fact, that happens later in this movie. Do not feel guilty for protecting your shit. <laughs> you're not racist. It's okay. There's strangers and your shit alone together on the beach. Pay attention to it. That's okay. Yes. Anyway. But so, after seeing the whale... A wave comes up, and she figures, okay, I'll just, I'll ride this out, and I'll be gone. Uh-huh. But, no. <laughs> yeah, there are fake shots, like, camera shots of a shark inside a wave following a surfer, and that's fake. I don't think there's a real one of those, but they they mimic that in this movie, where when she's surfing, you see the shark in the wave, and then she gets knocked off her board. I've never seen a shark do that, obviously, uh -huh. but I have seen jellyfish ride up with waves. Yeah. And that's creepy uh -huh. and weird. <laughs> <laughs> jellyfish who will come back into the story in a little bit. But yeah, so the shark knocks her off of her board, which thrusts her into the rocks. And it gets her in the leg. Yes. It's a cool effect. I don't know how realistic it is, but it's a cool effect. They make the water turn red, and so the entire screen turns red. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh-huh. So she either gets swept out there, or the shark takes her out there, or something, but she winds up by the whale again. So she climbs up on the whale, and it's kind of gross. She, like, puts her hands into its open wounds and yeah, stuff. Yeah, in order to carry herself up, and it's creepy. Which, by the way, that was my first implication of... Something's going on here? No. How realistic can this be? Because a shark, I don't believe a shark would just leave a whale like that. That much of the whale just completely whole and totally fine. There's like two bites taken out of it. And now it's going to hunt down this skinny little thing? Yeah. Why? It's weird. Yeah. And a little unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But the point is... The implication is, is that this is a shark that wants to kill. Yes. The implication is that it is a shark that enjoys killing, mm -hmm. which. No, I don't see that. No. No. But I mean, the jo in Jaws, it was the same thing. 
Well, it really wasn't until they went after it. Yeah. And then it was At like. At first, it was just attacking people because I thought they were food. And I don't see a problem with that. No. I do see a problem with it ramming the boat. Yeah, when there's food right there. And like, yeah, anyway. So she's sitting up on top of the whale. And she sees that the guys are leaving. And she starts screaming and she's waving her arms. But somehow they don't see her. Yeah. Really? Yeah. To you're give gonna, you. You're going to tell me they didn't look out at the hot girl one more time before yeah. they left? Uh-huh. That, you're right. That is absolutely ridiculous. There's no way they didn't look back out to see what was going on with her. Yeah. Absolutely not. And the movie tells us that she's about 200 yards away from shore, roughly, at this point. When she gets on the rock later, that's about 200 yards. Now, if you want to make the argument that they can't hear her, fine. But then why does it happen later that someone who is passed out on the beach can yeah, hear her? uh-huh. Anyway, so the shark starts ramming the whale yeah. to get to her, which is just silly. But she is a med student, and she knows how to stitch up her own wounds. Yeah, so she falls off the whale and has to swim to the rocks that we were talking about before. As it's starting to get to low tide, they're revealed. And so she climbs up on there with a seagull who is injured and can't fly away. Which is silly. Yes, this Jonathan Livingston Seagull type, who she names Steven, Steven Seagull, which is cute. Yes. Uh, which was a real seagull, by the way, three real seagulls. One main primary one who did most of the work and then two like support ones to do other things. But anyway, she gets to that rock and she needs to take care of her wound. And so because she is a med student, she knows how to stitch it. Now, I don't know exactly what she's using. Yeah, it's... It, it, she does use... I know she's using her necklace as the needle. I get that. What she's actually using to stitch up her wound, I don't understand. No, she's not actually stitching. She's just trying to hold it closed. And so, first of all, she takes her ankle strap from her surfboard and wraps it around her leg, which... I mean, Blake Lively is a twig, sure, but, like, seriously? How can you close that still? Like, I've seen these ankle straps. There's not that much overlap that now it can wrap around your thigh, <sighs> but whatever. Well, when you're that tiny. I, that's what I'm saying. Life is easier. <laughs> right, yeah. To apply a tourniquet, which, by the way, I'm really happy with all the movies lately that where people get injured and they apply their own tourniquets. Good for you. And this movie also doubles down on that and it's like, hey, I need to open the tourniquet later so I can get blood flowing back in and then close it again because you will lose your limb if you leave a tourniquet on. I will fully admit that if this happened to me, I'd be fucking, I'd be dead. Yeah. So I don't know any of this medical uh -huh. shit. This is not something you can fight your way against. Yeah. This is purely... I'm losing blood. I know that I have to put pressure on it. That's about as far as my uh -huh. medical abilities go. <laughs> and she takes her, her necklace, which is this weird sort of shape with these weird prongs on it. And like... How lucky for her. Yeah. Digs that into her into her skin, hoping to hold the wound closed or something like that. But I feel like she's using it as a needle, but I just don't know what she's using as the thread. She doesn't have any thread. That's my point. She doesn't, she doesn't stitch but it up. But something she does keeps it together. Yeah, that. And then later she put, she applies the pressure wrap. So she sees that she has five hours to low tide. Which is plenty of time. I mean, low tide's good. 
Low tide it exposes more of the rock, and it makes the beach closer to her. And it makes the distance she has to swim shorter. So low tide is good. High tide is bad. That's the looming threat of this movie is high tide. Because as high tide approaches, this rock she's on is going to fall under the water. And she's going to be stuck with the shark. And yet, funny enough, she gets a whole lot more done at high tide than she does at low tide. Really, she does. <laughs> At first, she's really concerned maybe she might, like, lose the leg, but she is able to move her toes, which tells her, okay, good, I've at least... Well, that's because when she removes the tourniquet and she allows the blood to flow to flow again, she's lost all feeling in her leg. And so her being able to move her toes again means the blood's flowing again, and then she can reapply the tourniquet. So then it's finally low tide. Is the implication... I think it's here that she, like, passes out. Well... Yeah, she finds out that the shark is still there. Yeah. She sees the shark or something, and she can't make a move, and she does kind of pass out, but not before she can take her wetsuit jacket, which is just the top part of the wetsuit, and she's getting really cold, so she puts that on, and then she thinks, oh, I can use one of the sleeves, and she rips the sleeve off of it and applies that as this pressure wrapping for her wound. And I think it's that pain that makes her pass out. Yeah, but... That's a good thing. That pressure wrap is probably what saves her life. But it also means that she misses all of low tide. Yes. And when she wakes up, it's this magic hour for all the photographers out there. And there is... There are crabs all over her. Yeah, there are crabs all over She freaks out and she grabs one of them. She smashes it. Well, and Steven Siegel kind of looks at her, and she's like, no, this is for me. I need to survive. And she goes to eat it, and she's like, ah, gross. And she spits it out. And then Steven goes and pecks it up, which is really cute. (laughs) (laughs) Steven Siegel is dope. But then she sees the man passed out on the beach. And, of course, we have a fat, lazy, drunk, amoral Mexican thief. Cool. At least he dies. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, this this movie is made by a lot of Hispanic people, so, like, this is their thing. But it's just like, oh, yeah, we have that character that reinforces stereotypes. <laughs> but, anyway, he's passed out on the beach, and she finally gets him to wake up, and she's waving her arms at him, and he waves back. Yeah, he's and, too drunk to understand that yeah. she needs help. And then she says, go over there, my phone's in the bag, or whatever, go over there. He doesn't really understand what she's talking about. Uh, but he follows her pointing and she and and he finds her bag and then he gets the phone and he tries to interact with it and he doesn't know what to do. And so he just puts it in his pocket and then he grabs the backpack and he goes to steal it as he's walking back. And she's like, no, no, no. He sees her surfboard floating out there and he's like, well, shit, I got a backpack with stuff in it. I got a phone. I'll get the surfboard, too. And he drunkenly splashes out into the water and grabs the surfboard. And as he tries his best to swim it back, which is very believable acting on the part of this guy. (laughs) Oh, he gets ripped in half by the shark. And the surfboard gets ripped in half, too. And she starts crying. And I'm like, dude, I'd be like, serves you right, asshole. Yeah, but now the dude that could potentially save her. He wasn't going to save her. Uh, he was going to get back and maybe he'd call somebody and say, hey, there's this screen. Well, also, Chris mentioned, well, I guess that phone doesn't work now. Because <laughs> he just goes into the water. Yes. He put it in his pocket <laughs> and then he jumps into the water with it in his pocket. <laughs> so frustrating. 
And that's some bad compositing as well. There's there is some bad compositing with the nighttime shots here. If you are an effects guy and you're trying to composite stuff at night, realize that what you film, what you've created through your visual effect and what your computer assigns as black are different shades of black. And on the right TV, you can see all that shit. And it looks really bad. And then, like, when you see his half body as he climbs up onto, as he crawls up onto the beach, it's all fuzzy and and not easy to see. Like, it's obvious they're trying to hide the fact that there's not good effects going on here. <laughs> it seems very low budget, which is fine. Apparently, it could have been as expensive as, like, $25 million to make this movie, which... I guess is low budget nowadays. (laughs) Anyway, some bad compositing. So she then passes out again, basically, or she's just, you know, laying there all fucked up, staring up at the sun. Uh Uh-huh. And the two dudes come back from yesterday. Yeah. She tries to warn them, but she can barely talk and... Okay. You're these two dudes. You come out there. The girl's already out there. She was out there after you left the day before She's there before you get there the next day. She's sitting on the rock and her wetsuit arm is wrapped around her leg. And they're like, hey, what's up? All right, we're going to surf. Yeah, and she tries to yell at sharks. They're like, there's no sharks here. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's 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 very <laughs> silly. It gets one of them, eats it, and then the other one, the dude with the GoPro on his head, makes it to her, and she tries to pull him out, but nope, the shark yanks him down, and all that pops up is his helmet with the GoPro camera on it. Yes, at some point around this time, she fixes the seagull's wing. He, according to her, he his shoulder is dislocated, so she's just going to pop it right back in. Yeah. Now, I totally get she's been through all kinds of hell at this point. She's hit the fire coral. She's been knocked on the rocks. She's been bitten by a shark. She's seen people die. She's got exposure. I understand all of that. She fixes the bird's wing. The bird clamps down on her finger out of fear. Which is real, by the way. That's a real thing? Yeah, the bird actually bit her. And that was her real response of just, that's not very nice. Yeah. That's surprising, because I've had, now it was a parrot. Uh Uh-huh. So I don't know if that makes any difference. A parrot bit me once, and it wouldn't let go. Yeah. And it was incredibly painful, and it didn't matter how much I thrashed, that bird would not let go. Well, there are differences. Okay. One of which is that parrots are built for eating seeds. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they have sharper crushing beaks. Seagulls are built for eating fish that they grab and then toss back into their gullet. So they don't need the same power and strength of their beak. And it's not formed in such a way that it needs to shatter 
seeds. Ah. But also, that parrot was probably a, a big dick, and Steven Seagal <laughs> was like, ow, that hurt. And then it felt better. And so it stopped. So, yeah. So she goes after the helmet. By timing how long it takes the shark to swim around her, she knows how much time she has to swim out to get the helmet and then come back. And there's some fuck up parts of this, but ultimately she gets the helmet. And she watches the video and she sees the same thing that that little boy we saw at the beginning of the movie saw. And then she records a message. And at first it's like, this is where I am, come save me. And then it's like, you know what, erase all that, don't show that, send this video to my address back home in Texas. Here's my message to my sister and my dad. If you find this, can you just, um, can you just delete that first part and, uh, and send it to uh, 1023-1 Oliver Crescent Drive, Galveston, Texas. That's my home. That's, that's, where my, uh, that's where my dad and sister live. Hey, Pop. Hey, Chloe. Um, I finally got that alone time. Super overrated. <laughs> um, no, 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 I'm not totally alone. I got this little dude, Steven Siegel, here, keeping me company. Show me a wing. I fixed him for you, Chloe. I just don't want you guys to worry, and I don't want you to feel, um, you know, bad or anything, because I love you so much, and I miss you more than I ever, ever even realized I could. Dad, I gotta get off this rock soon, um, but I want you to know I'm gonna fight. I am, just like she taught us. And you were right. so much. Time to go. And then she tosses it back out, hoping it makes it to shore. Especially as high tide is approaching, it's going to push things out to shore. She also notices that high tide is approaching and that Steven Siegel probably still can't fly yet. So she tries to save him by putting him on the half of her surfboard that she had. That got snapped in half when the drunk dude tried to steal it and pushes him out to shore as well and doesn't really see what ultimately happens to him, at least not yet. And she is going to be trying to make a break for it to a buoy because the buoy is going to stay on top of the water no matter what, as this rock is going to get submerged. So she goes after the buoy. Of course, there's this whole drama about is the shark going to catch her? She sees that there are tons of jellyfish, and she says, oh, you didn't like that, did you? You didn't like that, because it stings like jellyfish. When it got stung yeah. by the fire coral. Because it stings like a jellyfish, which is the way the fire coral was described to her by the two surfer dudes earlier. I don't like that she's treating the shark like it has a personality. Oh, you don't like that. Like... I would prefer the shark be a cold-blooded killer. 
and reasonless. When you start to give it reason and opinions and things it likes and doesn't like, likes and dislikes. I like long walks on the beach and like you're giving the shark a personality. It it humanizes it. This thing needs to be an eating machine like in Jaws. So I I don't like those little moments where she talks to it like it's Steven Seagal. Humanize the seagull all you want. That's good. I like the seagull. Don't do that to the shark if I'm supposed to be afraid of the shark. They do that in other monster movies. I don't like it. Okay. I mean, unless the point is to humanize it. But the point here is that this is an inhuman killing machine that's going to hunt her down and kill her. Right. I, I feel like in monster movies, it has a little bit more placement because it's you trying to belittle the monster and bring it down on your level. Which might be what she's trying to do here, yeah. but it's also, kind of, I agree, it's silly, it, it is, an, it, this is an actual animal, these things actually happen, so it might seem silly to do that, but if you're looking at it from the perspective of a monster movie, it makes sense. Yeah, but I mean, I'm thinking like Michael Myers, like people will want to, in some of the movies, humanize Michael Myers and know what his story is or whatever, but what makes Michael Myers scary is that he rejects any sympathy, right? It doesn't matter how many people try to explain who Michael Myers is and why he is the way he is. He rejects all of that. In the new Halloween, minor spoilers, because you know it's going to happen anyway, there are these podcasters that are trying to tell the story of Michael Myers and tell the story of who he was, and he kills them. Like, he's like, no, do not try to psychoanalyze me. I am just a killing machine. A census man tried to... <laughs> yes, tried to test, s- me, test me. Yeah, like that, you know? Like, no, do not try to humanize me. And yet this movie tries to sort of, in little ways, humanize the shark that I don't like. They should have just taken that out. They should have just been like, you know, something like, oh, the coral stings like jellyfish. And then now I'm here with jellyfish. Oh, bing, light bulb. Don't say, you don't like that, do you? (laughs) Would you prefer if that did not happen? (laughs) Anyway, so she swims through the jellyfish and gets stung herself, but has the willpower to fight. Just keep swimming. Yes. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. What do we do? We swim. And the shark has a hard time getting at her and is obviously very perturbed. (laughs) But she makes it to the buoy, the buoy which has the number 42 on it, which is the answer to the great question of life, the universe, and everything. Did we mention that she found a shark tooth? She didn't find a shark tooth. I don't think. Is that what that was? I thought that's what it was. Oh, my God. Okay, so I thought it was part of the, the, the board. inside. No, the inside of the helmet. Because oh. the helmet, the surfer's helmet that has the GoPro on it uh, is cracked open. And she pulls out what I thought was the hard insulation thing that protects your skull. The hard part of the helmet. And she pulled out a part of that. And I figured, well, it's going to be this really hard plastic and it's cut and it's sharp. But now that you mention it, that might have been a tooth, but it did not look like a tooth. I thought that's what it was. But I totally get why you would think that that's the case. And I may very well be wrong. (laughs) Hold on. I need to look that up now. Oh, it doesn't even talk about that in here. Does it say how she breaks the thing on the buoy? No, it just says she finds a flare gun on the buoy. Oh. 
because like it's just more drama. <laughs> but she's on this buoy and she has whatever that is, the piece of the helmet, the shark's tooth, whatever it is, kind of shoved in her. Shark if it's a shark's tooth, tooth yes, yeah, shark. <gasps> If it's a shark's tooth, it'd be way too big, though, which makes me think maybe it's not. So, But as she's first, at the very first point, when she's climbing up, one of the ladder steps breaks off. Yeah. But this is okay, because when she falls into the water, she now has a weapon. Yes. And she hits, I think she... She stabs him. Yeah. Yeah. Because she sees in the GoPro footage when it's when its mouth comes, and there's this... What seems like a cheesy effect of the mouth coming and, like, eating the GoPro helmet, with uh, which obviously has the dude attached to it, like, head-on, and it's a little too convenient. But what the movie shows is there was a point to that when she's scanning through the footage, she sees that it has something pierced into its mouth. And she's like, oh, somebody got you, didn't it? And I think that might be part of the motivation why it's so irritable and angry. But also, it demonstrates that it can be hurt, you know, and it kind of gives her that motivation to try to try to defeat it and not just get away. She's going to fight. So anyway, she gets on this buoy. She finds a flare gun. There's a box that she has to break open with this tooth or part of the helmet. Sharp tooth! <laughs> ah! Sharp tooth! <laughs> and pulls out the, the flare gun because she sees a boat. Going by in the distance like a cruise ship or something. And she fires the first flare. And it's just... It's really bad. But all the rest, when she opened the chest, fell into the water. And there's this really cool moment. Another, like, inspirational pull-out-the-guitar sort of moment where... Well, because at first, she d- it takes her forever just to get one. Right. But all the rest are in the water. So she's and like, so, fuck it. Yeah, we see them floating in the water, and then all of a sudden, she's in the water, and she grabs it. And we're like, whoa, what happened? And then we see her pop back out of the water. Yeah, she, she has attached herself. Yeah, to the buoy, and she is yanking it down, pulling herself into the water, and it automatically yanks her right back up. It was a fun Yeah, thing. it was kind of neat. I liked it. But so she she tries to signal the boat, but it's long gone by the time she completes all this stuff. And then she notices whale fat in the water. Yes. And if you know your history, you know that whale fat is how we used to do lamps. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it is very flammable. <laughs> yes. So as the shark is swimming through this whale oil she fires a flare gun at it and it lights the whole thing on fire and then out comes the shark on fire flaming shark out of the water and i wrote jesus christ (laughs) it is not terrifying it is ridiculous but it is badass (laughs) (laughs) it is so cool but it is absolutely ridiculous you cannot take this seriously yeah we've seen this shark pop up a couple of times now and as we've said we know that sharks really do that yeah we know that we know they pop out of the water like that yes but like i said we've seen this shark do this like three or four times now and it's just like and this time it's on fire and it's it's just it's so ridiculous it's awesome (laughs) it is Ridiculous, but awesome! (laughs) Anyway, the shark immediately, because it's a super genius, immediately associates the fact that it is now on fire with her. 
It is a very smart shark. It puts together that she caused the fire, and now I'm on fire. It's because of her, so now I'm going to go and attack her. Yes, and this animal apparently has a death wish because it has no ability to realize... I was just set on fire. Yeah. Maybe this human can kill me. Yes. But like instantly in the moment it associates its harm with something completely unrelated, at least immediately unrelated to why it's hurting right now. It's anyway, it happens in these movies. It happens in Jaws. She does this thing where now the shark is in terror mode and it just goes nuts and... She's trying to stay away from it, and it's starting to pull the buoy into the water, and it's tearing apart this metal, and she's trying to stay inside of it like it's an anti-shark cage. And it rips it all apart, and there's a chain. The buoy is attached to a chain going down to the ocean floor, so it stays in relatively the same place, right? It moves around with the tide, but it's not going to float out to sea, right? That's the whole point of this. So there's chains on this buoy, and the shark is breaking it apart, and so she grabs onto one of the chains as part of this buoy sinks to the ocean floor. It pulls her down with it. And she's holding her breath. It's pretty fun. And it's pretty cool. It is. I like that. (laughs) And apparently, according to the director, Blake Lively is really good at holding her breath. Like, she she could have held her breath this entire time. He was like, she was a fish woman. It was incredible. (laughs) Um, So it pulls her down into, into the ocean floor. And the shark is chasing after her. And there's this great shot underwater of the shark coming after her. And the part of the buoy... Hits the the ground and she's falling towards it because there's still another part that the chain is actually attached to that's still pulling her down. And then as soon as she gets close, she darts off in a different direction, which is a little unbelievable that she'd be able to change direction so fast. And the shark wouldn't be able to compensate for that because the shark's trying to catch up. Shark's going really fast. Yes. They love to show us how smart he is earlier in the film. And now he's not that smart. Yeah, but he's really now fast. Now he's a regular shark. Well, now he's he's his eyes have gone red. Like he is... He's insane with anger because it set him on fire or her. And she dodges out of the way as the shark comes slamming down into the open prongs of this broken part of the buoy and just impales it through its mouth where it is most sensitive and prone to stabbing. And immediately, shark is dead. Yeah. Totally reminded me of the Little Mermaid at the very beginning when Ariel yes. and Flounder. Yes. Uh, Get a shark to go through a circle thing. It doesn't die, but (laughs) Uh it's the same idea. So this is around the time that the boy finds the GoPro helmet, looks at the video, rushes off, brings back someone he knows, could be his dad, I don't know, Carlos, Charlie, from the beginning of the movie. And he shows up and he saves her. He doesn't give her mouth to mouth, but she starts breathing anyway and spits up all this water. And that bikini has some serious staying power. Yes. That teeny tiny bikini that yes. she has been wearing this whole time is still perfectly placed on her chest. Any girl who's worn a bikini knows what I'm talking about. Guys, if you don't know, those types of bikinis are real easy to pull down. Yes. I've had I've had kids splash me in my bikini come off. Okay. Okay, be clear. You're talking about like kids of friends. Yes. Yes. I be- I bet like it. My little friend, teeny kids, like little <laughs> tiny children. They splash me, uh-huh. and my bikini has come down. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Like, it just doesn't make sense that hers is still clinging on. And I wrote, ugh, with the mom vision, so sappy. Yes, she sees her mother. As (laughs) she's laying there on the beach and being revived, she has hallucinations of her mother. And then the next thing we get is they're on the beach. Again, it's a year later, I think. Yeah, one year later, she's healed up. She has a scar on her leg now from the shark bite, but she wears it with pride as like a badge of honor. And she's taken her little sister to the beach to go surfing, just like she promised. And her dad's there with them for some fucking reason, because we need to symbolize that their relationship is healed now. And her sister calls her doctor because in this year, she's gone back to med school and finished med school. And now she's completely successful. And just ugh, with the inspirational music and the slow on the beach and and the dad like, saying mom would be proud of just you just ugh 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 just sappy 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 ready to get wet Dr. Adams no we'll see about that Nancy mom would be proud of you both of you thanks Papa time to go it is so just heavy handed and just over the top. Ugh. Realize that this is all of like a two second scene that Chris is freaking it's out. It's the about. end of the movie. <laughs> it's how everything gets wrapped up. Yes. It's the context in which this movie is trying to deliver its message. <laughs> and it is, it like after that badass moment with a flaming shark and then she gets pulled down to the ocean floor and then the shark gets impaled. Oh, my mother fought cancer and it was so inspirational and that's why I'm alive now. <laughs> it's just really cheesy. Oh, and by the way, everything wrong. It's like in a biopic. I know I've said this before. It's like in a biopic where the filmmakers know that this character is going to die. So now the character has to reconcile every damaged relationship they have and wrap up every last little loose end but life isn't that fucking neat and when movies force it to be that neat it's really painfully obvious what a shitty way to end this movie lightning round kelsey so how may colette Seurat, or however you pronounce his name said that I wanted the shark to be a presence for half the movie I wanted to reveal it slowly then have it be a force of nature My reasoning was that if Nancy doesn't get a good look at the shark, then the audience shouldn't get a good look at it either. This is obviously tangentially related to the editing in Jaws that we talked about before, and it really works here for the most part, except when we get those fake POV shots that seems to break from this statement that he made. And I agree with his statement. Where you cannot see the shark and you don't know where it is because she can't see it and she doesn't know where it is. Like when she first gets attacked, you barely see the shark at all. And that's probably what would happen to her, too. She doesn't know what happened to her when she gets knocked off her board. Like, I really appreciate that. But then on top of that, we get these omniscient viewpoints of other characters and sometimes not even the shark. Turns out it's not even a dolphin. It's just a fake out point of view shot. Like, which is it, dude? Do we want to see things that only she can see? Or are we going to see things that the shark can see? Or things that the camera can see that no one else can in order to create this tension? Because that's cheap. Your statement works. It's totally great. And I agree with you. And when you employ it in the movie, it works. And every time you deviate, it fucking sucks. Good assessment, babe. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> also, apparently Blake Lively was pregnant when they were filming this. Uh, but obviously, uh, like first trimester, like not my showing. My mother it. came here when she found out she was pregnant with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the island of the pregnant woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you obviously can't tell. And a year later, she doesn't have a kid, so it's not actually part of the story. It's just kind of a neat little behind-the-scenes fact. <laughs> and of course, she looks like a fucking twig when she's pregnant. Anyway. We have friends who do that, too. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> Kelsey. Yep. What do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 56. 78. Lean and solidly crafted, The Shallows transcends tired shark attack tropes with nasty thrills and a powerful performance from Blake Lively. Metacritic of 59, cinema score of B+. Do you think that's overrated or underrated? What was it again? 78 Rotten Tomatoes, 59 Metacritic, B plus cinema score. Maybe just slightly overrated. Okay, what would you give it? I was going to give it a 70. I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, the exact same thing. I was like, it felt rude to dip into the 60s because it's really not bad. It's really not that bad. No, but it's not like 75 territory. There's too much to complain about. Yeah, there's a lot to complain about, and I don't think... I think you said this too. Like, there's no part of me that's like, ooh, I want to see that again. Yeah. You know, like, maybe there's something I missed. No, it's just, oh, that was good. That's fine. Yeah. You know, people say that, hey, this is more like a survival movie. I mentioned that earlier before we listened to the trailer. That is more like a survival movie, and those elements are really good. And he says that, oh, the shark is a force of nature, and... Yeah, it is. And when you just let that force of nature go and you unleash it and it's just over the top and crazy, I have a lot of fun with this movie. But then there's all the other shit that's just annoying and gets me all riled up. (laughs) But not a bad movie. I think we need to be clear. It is not a bad movie. It is a 70. That's pretty good. So, Kelsey, that ends this episode with 1975's Jaws and 2016's The Shallows. What are we watching next week? Next week is a recommendation week. Ooh, yay. Who is the recommendor? This one comes to us from a Twitter follower. Tron1686 is his Twitter handle. I assume you're a man. I I apologize if you're not. Tron was male. Yes. And he asked us to watch The Gate from 1987. Okay. Never and, seen it. And The Guest. Okay. We're going to watch The Guest, which has a guy we really like in it. A hot man from Legion. Yeah, who was a doofy man from Downton Abbey. He plays this is kind the movie a- that got him in shape. Yeah. Because he was supposed to be straight out of the military. So he uh, he bulked up, in fact, to the point where, like, <laughs> there's parts of the movie where he's not shirtless. Yeah. That was when he was working out. Uh-huh. When, at the end, when he take uh, the parts where he has his shirt off, those, those were filmed at the very end of the filming. Uh-huh. Because that was when he was at his peak. Yeah. Because he, and he says this, I'm not saying this. I don't even know what he looks like in Downton Abbey. I've never seen him on it. Yeah, he's got some meat on him. He says, I was sick of being the pudgy friend. Yeah. So when I auditioned for this, they said, we love you as an actor, Uh but we don't think you have the right look. And he said, if you put your faith in me, 
I will do nothing but work out uh-huh. for two, three months. And that's what he did. And yeah, so, it really paid off for him. Yeah. Like, if you see him in Downton Abbey, he's very much like, you know, the suitor who's very rich, but everyone's kind of just like, yeah, but he's boring or whatever. You know? like, <laughs> uh, he's the cousin that stands to inherit the Abbey. Oh, is he? Yeah. Uh-huh. So anyway, this movie I haven't seen since the first time I saw it. I remember liking it. I remember it being kind of okay, and then towards the end, it just gets batshit. <laughs> and if you're okay with that, it's a fun ride. I seem to remember. I'm curious to see how I feel about it watching it a second time. But we've never seen The Gate. No. So that'll be interesting. No, yeah. Thank you, Tron. Appreciate that. That is next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. You can find us on Twitter at podcemetery or email us at podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are the biggest help you can give us there. Bigger than that, share us with your friends. Bigger than that, listening in the first place. Thank you very much. We love every single one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Before we go, Kelsey, any last words? This shark swallow you whole. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I don't wanna be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. Addicted to the sacred place This ain't a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones He says that's some bad hat, Harry. Which is why that line is famous and it will never be famous for anything else. Moving on. Because fuck Brian Singer. Oh. He's a fucking child molester. Fuck Brian Singer. Who's Brian Singer? He's the guy who directed the X-Men. The first X-Men movies. And uh, the the newer Superman movie before. Oh, I thought it was always done after your show Community or whatever. No, they produced uh, House. No, but there used to be a show you would watch all the time. The Usual Suspects. I mean, we would watch House all the time. Um... Let's see, what else? Something you watched by yourself. Oh, Legion? Might have been Legion, but I feel like it was something you enjoyed. House? Something called H Plus the Digital Series, Mockingbird Lane, Black Box, Legion, and The Gifted. (laughs) I would have sworn it was uh, Community. Anyway. No, absolutely not. Anyways, fuck that guy. We're not. I'm going to cut this part out of the episode. <laughs> IMDb has quotes from this movie, and one of them is Quint in Shark's Mouth. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was really funny. It certainly, he certainly looks like he's in a lot of pain. Yeah. Looks very real. Off the top of my head, I can think of one other movie that we haven't watched that I will absolutely give 100 to. I know what it is. Do you? Do you I think do. the audience can guess? Probably. What do you think the movie is? Alien. Yeah, it's Alien. Good lord. Good lord, it is so hot in here. Can you turn that fan on?
I hope people know how much we suffer for this podcast. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How do's? How do's? How do's? How do's? All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does the shallows begin? That's really weird, by the way. It's fucking me up grammatically. How does the shallows begin? Well, because does refers to the title. I understand. I know why it's that way. It just fucks me up. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it, you movies with your plural titles. (sighs) I had it. Where did it go? Where did it go? I'm not putting every time you say that in there. (laughs) Um, some British show. No, not some British show. It's not some British show. I just can't think of the name. Um, about the rich people. Yes, <laughs> in the old days. <laughs> Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. I know it's some Abbey. <laughs> Good one. Love it. <laughs> that works. Is that your gruff voice? Yes. <laughs> Swallow your hole. Swallow your soul. Swallow your soul. You're so mean to me. I am lovely to you. As a matter of fact, what am I doing? As soon as I stop this recording and I get up, what am I doing? Oh, I'm going to get you breakfast. That's how kind I am. Oh. And not mean to you. Oh.